Good morning. My name is Pastor Kevin Hauser, and welcome to Chinese Gospel Church. It's a beautiful Sunday morning, July 5th, 2020. And my desire, my hope, is that you're with us here this morning to glorify the Lord through the study of his word. Our call this morning comes from Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This week has been challenging for many of us. We've been weighed down by work responsibilities, by the challenges of being at home with COVID. Lord, with the struggle of sin that so easily seems to prevail in our life. We come this morning recognizing that we are weak and frail and we are in desperate need of your guidance and leading every moment of every day. And even though we're here together virtually dispersed throughout the GTA, we know Holy Spirit that you have united us one in heart and spirit. And that as we come to study God's word, you will use it, Lord God, to bring us to a better understanding of who we are before a holy God and what our holy responsibilities are in this world to live for you. So at this moment, as we continue to worship through the study of your word, guide us and lead us for the glory of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll be reading and preaching from the English Standard Version. Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33. Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Over the last seven or eight years of ministry, we have had the chance to go to several weddings. I think one year alone, about five years ago, we've, we had six or seven that summer that Sean and I had to go to. 
it's always interesting as pastors we sit together in different tables or we're placed together in those tables and for us at this stage in our life I think one of the the most fun things to do is to listen to the vows and you, and you hear them, you hear this joyous adulation that is sometimes over the top. It, it speaks about my soulmate and uh, I've been waiting for him or her my whole life despite their only being 24, 25 years old. I remember one time Sean and I were sitting at the table with a retired senior pastor and his wife and a couple others. And as this joyful adulation was just going on, and we could see them kind of look at each other and, and roll their eyes a little bit. And in our own heart, we were as well. And we talked about it afterwards. And, and the reality is, is at that moment with the age and with the, the emotion of the day and everything else, there is this great commitment to moving ahead. This great love that has found you and, and you want to reciprocate. But for any of us who have been married for any period of time, we know that marriage is not easy. It is a lifelong struggle of working at it. And this joyful adulation often comes to me in five, six, eight, ten years as trials, as marriage counseling. So what's happened between that I do with all my heart and I don't now because he doesn't like me or she doesn't obey. Well, we spend time in pre-marriage counseling talking about the things that we're going to be looking at today. Ephesians 5, what is God's purpose in marriage? But somehow along the way, those lessons that were learned have been laid aside. Our roles and responsibilities have been abdicated. And we find ourselves in situations where our marriages are just not glorifying unto the Lord. Now, two weeks ago, as we started into this section in Ephesians 5, talking about marriage, we actually, before we got to the nuts and bolts about roles and responsibilities, we looked at verse 32, and Paul calling marriage a, a mystery. That is something that God had deliberately veiled in the Old Testament, but unveils now in the coming of Jesus Christ. And what we found out is that a God's ultimate purpose for marriage, even in Genesis 2, was that it was to be a living example of this relationship between the church and Christ. Christian marriage, our marriages, are to be a visible reflection of Christ's sacrificial love for the church and the church's joyful submission to him as Lord. Let me say that again. Christian marriages are to be a visible reflection of Christ's sacrificial love for the church and the church's joyful submission to him as Lord. In this relationship, both husbands and wives have divinely appointed roles to play and each one of them has divinely appointed responsibilities that correspond with the parts that they play. These roles and responsibilities complement each other and make a marriage sweet and meaningful as it grows in its reflection of the gospel. If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, no matter how irksome or hard some of these things that we'll talk about this morning may feel to us, 
it's our privilege and our calling to make our marriage a true reflection of Christ's lordship in our life. God has purposed our marriages to put on display the glorious saving work of Christ and his lordship over all things. And for this to work out, both husbands and wives must joyfully do what God has called them to do. No marriage is perfect. They're all plagued by sin and selfishness. But as we fulfill our roles and responsibilities, as they're laid out here in Ephesians 5 and other places, marriage becomes sweeter and becomes glorifying in the sight of the Lord. For the Christian wife, she is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. And we saw that that call to submit, first and foremost, is grounded in verse 21 in what we see as a call to mutual submission. That as a community of grace, we are to live in such a way that is always yielding our needs, our wants, our desires to serve others, to seek the spiritual good of other people around us. If, as we'll see this morning, the role of of husbands is to be a servant leader, sacrificially loving their wife as Christ loved the church, then wives lovingly yielding to their husband's leadership displays the lordship of Christ. The call for wives to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, it, it's not because there's anything worthy or more superior about them. It's only because of Christ in their life. God's design for marriage in placing the husband as head over the wife it has nothing to do that he's superior because of his gender. It has nothing to do with whether he's more spiritual. It's simply the role that he has. He is to represent Christ. And wives are called to submit to their husbands, not to their husbands, but to their husbands in the Lord, in the sphere of Christ's sovereign control in their life. And because this submission represents the church's submission to Christ, it is to be joyful. It is to be complete in all things. Now, just let me say at this moment, because I don't think I was clear enough last week. This command to submit to your husbands in all things does not include anything that would be uh, against God's word. And it doesn't include anything that would be physically or emotionally harmful to the wife. In the past, this verse has often been wrongly used by the church to force wives to remain in abusive relationships. And the argument is this. If the Bible commands them to submit to th all things to their husbands, then it must be God's desire that they stay in this abusive relationship. Ladies, I, I, let me say this. If you find yourself in an abusive relationship, please come to one of the elders and quietly talk to us about it, and we'll help find a way to, to deal with it. And men, if, if your actions towards your wife are abusive in any way, physically, emotionally, you need to know that this is unacceptable, and we will take steps to protect her. Our desire is not to break up marriages, but to help establish healthy biblical marriages that allow both husband and wife 
to fulfill their roles and ultimately God's purpose for their life. No one should ever live in fear of their husband. And if they are, then he's not ultimately fulfilling the call of God to be a servant leader. Now, this all brings us to this morning and the role of husbands. And ladies, as, as hard, as difficult as it may have been for you a couple weeks ago to consider being joyfully submissive to your husband in all things, this week, I think we'll see God's expectations are even more daunting for husbands. Now, husbands, if you were listening last week and thinking, yeah, amen, uh, just let me say, I, I hope you're ready. So as we looked at, and, and I submit to you this morning, husbands are to be servant leaders, following the example of Christ. And that's exactly what we see in verses 25, don't we? It says their husbands are to love their wife as Christ loved the church. When we were first married, we were full of a sense of wonder, excitement, a passion to love, to be loved. We had a commitment that said we are prepared to do anything for that person. And yet, even then, these heights of love only pale in comparison to the height of love that Christ has shown unto us. Christ demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. The, the quintessential biblical definition of love is an act of self-sacrifice. He left his place of privilege at the right hand of his heavenly father. He humbled himself to be born in the lowliest of circumstances, in a stable, to an unwed couple. He submitted himself to live in a fallen and ungodly world where even God's people refused to recognize him. And while he had never sinned or committed any crime, he submitted himself to the humiliation of a Roman cross, to die in our place, taking upon himself the penalty for our sin, taking upon himself the wrath of God for our sin. Christ's love for the church was a sacrificial love. He gave himself up for her. And as such, Paul says that husbands, we must model ourselves after him. And we know, men, that romantic love is an important part of our marriage. It's probably the reason why any of us got married in the first place. But Christ's love wasn't a subjective or romantic, fuzzy emotional feeling. It was a deliberate act of self-effacing sacrifice. It was an act of sacrifice that he never wavered from, even when he was given the opportunity by Pontius Pilate. In fact, Christ pursued it with all diligence throughout his earthly ministry, but especially in his last week of life. In the Gospel of John, as we, we look through that, those last days, we see how he resolutely and persistently pursued his own death, sovereignly guiding and leading all events around him to come to that one conclusion because he knew that his sacrifice was our only hope. 
Christ's love for the church was sacrificial in that he gave himself wholly, fully, and without reservation that she might have eternal life. But I want you to think of this. His love was also marked by a great resolve, by a great purposefulness. And these two things coming together, this sacrifice and this purposefulness of resolve helps to set the tone for us this morning. Husbands are called to be servant leaders, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So I guess the first question we need to ask ourselves is, are we resolved to die to self for our wife? To be the servant leader that sets apart or sets aside our prerogatives, our privileges, our desires, our wants and our needs to serve her. Think about that for a second. Because that's what we're called to. We are to have a sacrificial love that willingly pursues dying to self for her physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And, and all of this, by the way, is the opposite of anyone who is abusive in their relationship, isn't it? Paul takes this idea and drives it home in verses 28 through 31 when he says that we are to love our wives as our own bodies. And it highlights the reality that our commitment to serve sacrificially is indicated by the value that we place in our wife. Who of us would ever voluntarily harm ourselves? Who would ever say, well, just for spite, I'm going to cut myself? Or I don't like my freckles, so I'm going to burn them off. Our natural instinct is for self-preservation. It's just the opposite. We do everything and anything in our power to make sure that we take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves from harm, to take care of our physical bodies. We'll watch our diet and exercise. To take care of our emotional being, we will make sure we get rest and go on holidays. To take care of our soul, we'll study the Word of God and join a fellowship. If you came to me this morning and said that you wanted to harm yourself, I'd say, let's get some professional counseling here because no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Husbands, our wife is a part of our body. That's why Paul cites Genesis 2.24 here. Look what it says. It, it says here, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. On our wedding day, when we stood before family and friends and God, we made a covenant promise to love, to cherish until death do us part. It's a covenant relationship in which there is now a, a supernatural union that happens between two people. They become one so that they are no longer belong to themselves anymore. They are exclusively united one to another. That's why Paul says, he who loves his wife loves his own flesh because they're now one. She is a natural permanent extension of who he is. And that should really drive home an understanding of the level of commitment that we're to have toward our wife. 
the value that we place upon her. We pledged our love till death do us part. And as such, we've pledged our sacrificial servant leadership till death do us part. Our wives are a permanent spiritual extension of who we are. We are to value them as such. And our desire must always be to care for them, to nurture them, never to cause harm in any way. We are to have a sacrificial love that willingly pursues dying to self for her physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Now, how can we do that? How can we love the Lord and do that? I don't know about you, but Paul's words here scare me. I love my wife, but with an unwavering commitment to die to self? I know that even on my best days, I don't love her as I should, or even as much as I could. Sometimes, even my best intentions are but thinly veiled attempts to get what I want. How am I to love her with the love of Christ? I know that it only can start as I come to Jesus Christ and receive him as my Lord and Savior. But I know that I am so sinful still. My actions, my thoughts, my feelings are, are guided by me, me, me. My wants, what I think would be best at any given moment. But to willingly put aside all personal gain and daily devote myself to her, always asking myself, is this in her best interest? That's tough. That's tough. But that's exactly what spiritual servant leadership is, isn't it? Laying aside who I am to serve someone else. And what makes the challenge even harder is when we contemplate the reality that Jesus' example of servant leadership is not only sacrificial, but it's marked by an eagerness and a joyfulness to do the Father's will. And I get that from John chapter 17, verses 12 through 13. If you want to turn there, it's Jesus' high priestly prayer the night before he dies. John 17, verses 12 through 13 says this, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been, ex has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Did you catch that? just hours before he lays down his life, and in full knowledge of the cost and the suffering that lay ahead of him, Jesus' prayer is marked by joy. Why? Because he knows with all surety that his sacrifice, his sacrificial act of love, of dying in our place for our sins, will be sufficient to remove the curse of sin and death on all who repent of their sins. A, a husband's sacrificial love for his wife, because it portrays Christ's love for the church, likewise 
must be marked by joyfulness and an eager in eagerness to fulfill God's purposes, no matter what the cost, even dying to self. And here's where things get real, doesn't it, guys? What do you do when your leadership is far from Christ-like? When your heart is not close to God, when you're wrestling with an ugly, persistent sin in your life and repentance just doesn't seem to be close at hand, how can you love like Christ? Or how can you joyfully serve your, your wife when she doesn't want you to be the head of the home? And all she ever does is seem to pick fights or nitpick or remind you of your failures. Again, ladies, I hope you can appreciate something here of how hard it is for your husband. We love you. And we'll show you in a million different ways. Flowers movie, dinner out, but to daily die to self? That's hard. And you, you need to understand because this is something that they can't do in and of themselves. And, and I hope you understand for this, not to complain that they're not meeting up to the bar, but to realize that they're called to do something that is physically and spiritually impossible in and of themselves. They must rely daily on Christ. The ugly truth, believe it or not, the ugly truth is that most of us barely want to be accountable to God for our own spiritual lives, let alone accountable for yours. And yet, that's what we are called to do, men. To replicate Christ's sacrificial love in our marriage and to do so willingly, joyfully, desiring to fulfill God's purpose. Now, if that were it, the task of being a husband would be hard enough. But Paul continues in verses 26 and, through, and 27 to highlight our responsibility to love as Christ loves the church by showing us in a very specific manner. He points us to Christ's threefold purpose of his love for the church. Christ loved the church that he might sanctify her by the washing of water and the word. Christ loved the church that he might present her, present her to himself in splendor and without spot or wrinkle. He loved the church that she might be holy and without blemish. In the West, we tend to think of our salvation in individualistic terms. He died for me that I might have eternal life. Now, as real and true as that may be, Scripture always points to a grander purpose and operation. The very thing that Paul has been talking about in chapters 1 through 3, that we are saved by faith in Christ, but brought into a new family of God, the church. And it's the church's purpose to glorify him in all things because of his grace and his mercy that's been extended to us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that she might be his prized possession. And to do that, he set her aside as holy and sanctifies her, removing all spot and blemish of sin. Here's the challenge for us as husbands this morning. 
if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we must have the same goals for our marriage as Christ. We must have the same objectives for our marriage in Christ as Christ. That means that our sacrificial servant love must always be directed towards and have as its ultimate end making our wife spiritually pure and holy. It must always be to move her uh, into a more sanctified relationship with the Lord. For reasons known only to us, we have set our affections on the woman we married, setting her apart from all other women in the world to be the sole object of our loving service. And, and that's the primary meaning of what it takes or what it, uh, we mean when we say something is holy, setting it aside for a special purpose. But Paul also says that our servant leadership is to have a sanctifying impact or purpose on her, meaning that we are to lead her in such a way that always moves her to greater devotion for God, greater devotion and service for God. Now at this point, Paul talks about Christ in the church and Christ washing the church uh, with water, cleansing her with water and the word. The washing of water here is not a reference to baptism. It seems to be a reference to the ancient practice where the bride, before she got married, ceremoniously washed herself before the wedding. And we know that throughout the Bible, water is always symbolizing cleansing. Now what's important here is that washing and cleansing comes through the word. And if we're to understand what that means for us is that our servant leadership is to have a sanctifying effect. If it's to have a sanctifying effect, it must always be word-driven. We are responsible for making the word of God central in our marriages, studying it, meditating on it, living it out in our daily life. Indeed, our task is to lead her in her commitment to make it the source of her life. It, to point the two of you as the source of hope in times of sadness or exhaustion or depression. To point the two of you to it as a source of praise in times of goodness. To help make it the rule of life. Again, I, I don't know about you. There are times when I can barely keep my own spiritual life in order and on track. And I don't want to be accountable for anyone else's spiritual walk. There are days when you come home, the only thing you want to do is sit in a chair, turn on the TV, block out the rest of the world, and unwind. But you know what? That's when our job starts. To think about our wife's need to be spiritually nurtured and guided in the Lord. When we were first married, committing to daily devotions and, and praying together were easy because we were buoyed by this romantic love and the newness of our relationship. We had a zest and a commitment uh, to go forth in the strength of the Lord. But with time, the ongoing demands of the world, our sin, her sin, the weariness of life, the relentless need to die to self and put someone else's needs first, all of these things can make 
our spiritual responsibility to care for her a burden, something that we don't want or don't or can't bear. And what happens is we slowly abdicate that responsibility. But here's the reality. If our devotion is to be to her and to her alone, if our task is to present her to Christ as holy, and if one day we will stand before the Lord and give account for all that he has entrusted us, surely he will say, what did you do with the most precious gift that I ever gave you? Wives, I trust that you can see that dying to self and being spiritually accountable for your holiness is a heavy spiritual burden. If your husband is a Christian, he wants you to be sanctified, but there will be times when he doesn't know how to lead. He, there will be times when he himself is not spiritually strong enough to lead because he's wrestling with sin or just tired with life. There will be times when for whatever reason he will abdicate that responsibility. Many times he'll just lead poorly. But your task is to love him, to submit to him. But in that loving submission, seek his leadership gently, persistently, prod him. And if he refuses, continue to build him up in the word of the Lord. Your task is to woo him with your persistent desire for godliness. Well, what do we do if our wife is not Christian and she doesn't want to be submissive? Well, I would submit that, again, what we looked at in 1 Corinthians 7.13 uh, also applies here, that a, a, a wife's godly actions may be used by the Lord to save her husband. Likewise, a husband's godly actions may be used by the Lord to save his wife. Husbands, if your wife is not saved, know that that doesn't mean you can abandon your responsibility to sacrificially love her as Christ loved the church. You, you can't abandon her spiritual well-being, even if she becomes antagonistic to you. God's purpose in your marriage does not change. You may spend your whole life lovingly working towards her salvation, and yet she never comes to faith. Please know this. It's not your fault. It's the hardness of her heart. But as long as you are faithful to the task that God has given you, you will be blessed. Now, what happens if uh, I'm thinking of getting married or one day I would like to get married? Well, men, before you start looking for a wife, Make sure that you have your spiritual life in order, that you're grounded and mature. Make sure that you've established a solid pattern of biblical devotion, of prayer that can be transferred from you to your marriage relationship. Seek out men in the church who seem to have this down or are working on it diligently. Ask for their help. Ask for accountability structure with them by which you can and go and learn. Because here's the reality. If you can't spiritually lead yourself daily, you'll never be able to nurture and care for your wife and be the servant leader she needs to be. Let me say that again. 
If you can't spiritually lead yourself daily, you'll never be able to nurture and care for your wife and be the servant leader that she needs you to be. You may have a long life with her, but you will fail in your responsibility to be a sanctifying agent for her. And when you meet a young lady who makes your heart flutter, ask yourself this, is this the woman I am prepared to die to self for? Now ladies, piece of advice for you, this may sound strange, let them pursue you. We live in a day and a culture when it's acceptable for a, a woman to make the first move or to indicate her desire and, and like for someone else. But making the first move may land you in a marriage that's full of trial and grief. Let him pursue you so that you will be able to gauge his spirituality and his commitment, not just to you, not just to the idea of marriage, but to his understanding of what it means to be the true servant leader in your marriage. We all know that there are no perfect husbands. None of us are Christ. But men, all of us are called to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church to sacrificially act as servant leaders. There will be times when we will struggle and fail. There will be times when we don't want the responsibility of our, our wife's spiritual life. We may not know how to lead. We may never know how to lead well. But doing nothing is not an option. And as an aside, I want you to think about this. As hard as it may be for you, you need to set an example for your children. If we don't, if, if they don't see a husband who persists and struggles and keeps coming back and lovingly cares for his wife, despite the problems, then we are setting them up to fail in their Christian marriages. But I, I want to end with this idea. Neither the husband or the wife is capable in and of themselves to fulfill the role that God has called them to be. And there are three keys that come out of the beginning of chapter 5 that actually set the stage for how the marriage is to be lived out and what it means. First and foremost, we must be surrendered to Jesus Christ and have experienced a spiritual renewal. Again, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's, there's no way that you're going to be able to act like Christ, to love her as Christ loved the church, because you've never experienced that. And just as, as much, we need to be spiritually re renewed so that our heart, our mind, our soul, our will are all redirected and, and released and, and purposed to do that which God has called us to do. The second thing is that we need to understand whether it's husbands or wives. This is set in verse 21 in this concept of mutual submission. This is not a wrestling match of wills where especially husbands we want or demand our way. Servant leadership is not about who's the boss. It's about submitting yourself to the needs of others, to the needs of your wife. And thirdly, 
the third key is that we need the daily filling of the Holy Spirit. Even having come to Christ as our Lord and Savior, even having been renewed in our heart, in our mind, in our direction, in our will, we need the active work of the Holy Spirit in our life daily, filling us with the resolve, the desire, and the love to do God's will. This is a wonderful task that we have been called to. Marriage is a wonderful blessing, and it is a wonderful testimony to the world, especially in our day and age that would want to define, redefine sexuality and gender and marriage itself. If we commit ourselves to living biblical marriages, wives submitting unto your husband as Christ, or as, as the church submits to Christ, and husbands loving your wife sacrificially as Christ has loved the church. What a powerful testimony we can be to the world around us. Well, we talk about being missional. This is at the heart of what it means to be missional. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Submitting to his spiritual leadership as unto Christ. And in this, the glory of the gospel and the sovereignty of, of Christ is put on display for all to see. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a huge, huge task you have placed upon us. And yet what a joyful, joyful task it is to think and contemplate of. That as we commit ourselves to living out your expectations for our marriages. Christ becomes clearer. Christ becomes uh, a desirous, not just for ourselves, but is a reflection of the glory unto the world. I, I thank you, Lord God, that uh, we can struggle at this, but we need to come to you we need you to guide us and direct us. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit because I know in and of myself, I am not capable. I don't want to do this. But you, Holy Spirit, help us, I pray. Help us to be loving wives, to be loving husbands, to live out the gospel in our marriage for all to see. Heavenly Father, I continue to pray as well just for our church as a whole. I thank you that we have such a loving and caring family. Lord, we're not perfect as a body, and yet you have blessed us, and we care and I believe genuinely desire each one, uh, each other to grow in the Lord. And I see that in our relationships as we call each other up during this time of COVID, as we start to make small visits and, and getting to uh, encourage people. I'm so encouraged as a pastor to see that love and care, that fellowship being extended, Lord God. But Lord, we come to you as a body, as a church, knowing that because of sin, we are only ever one breath away from, from spiritual destruction. It is only by your sovereign care and guidance that we are given another day to live, that we have a, 
chance to be a living testimony in this community to your grace and mercy. And that means, Lord God, that, that we must humble ourselves daily before you, recognize that there is no righteousness in and of ourselves. Any righteousness, any goodness we have is Christ's. It has been given to us, imputed to us when we came by faith. Oh, Lord God, thank you so much. Well, we do pray for our Scarborough Church, Lord God, that, that she would be a bright and shining light in that community. Situated where she is, right on that main street, what a wonderful testimony through the ministries that it has. I pray for Pastor Tim. I pray for the leadership uh, and ask that you would use them mightily to reach out uh, and, and, and share the gospel. I pray for our downtown congregations, Lord God, for the Cantonese, the Mandarin, that you would uh, use them as well, Lord God, their passion, their fire, their desire to glorify you, to live out the gospel, to serve those who don't, don't yet know you as Savior so that uh, your kingdom may grow. For the leadership as a whole, uh, Lord, continue to give them guidance and direction through the maze of legislation that comes out of COVID, what may be best practices for starting together, starting to come together and worship again with the, the new technology that we'll be having soon to do live streaming. Lord, you have called us to worship and worship we will. So thank you for using all of these things to be able to give us that opportunity. And Lord, we, we just want to pray for our missionaries as well, that wherever they may be, they would know your comfort, your love, and your guidance today. That if they feel anxious that they're not in the field of service, if, if they are stressed about finances, if their world seems to be upside down, that they would know a peace and calm that transcends all understanding. Help them, I pray, even through this challenge, to learn spiritual life lessons that will be so valuable to be able to, to share with those whom you have called them to share. But we do pray that they would be effective gospel transmitters, that they would share uh, the love of Christ in such a way that would just draw others to him. Use them, I pray, for your glory. And now, Lord God, we, we do thank you that as we close our time together, that you have been with us, that you have guided us and directed us. And I, I pray that you will continue to work out the questions, concerns that we may have, the problems of our own marriages. Lord, continue to glorify yourself through us. For your holy name I pray.